Tell them good morning.
for weeks. These halls have been empty. Classrooms, silent. Seats, unfilled. As the summer break comes to an end, many are preparing. Because soon these halls will be full. Classrooms noisy. Seats filled. But this year, maybe you won't just see it as another learning experience or a social event. But may you see that what awaits you is one of the greatest opportunities for you to share the love of Christ with others. So as a new school year begins, you must ask yourself, are you prepared to carry his love through those doors? Good morning, everybody. It is great to see some of you back for the first time in a long time. Beach is done. This is such an exciting day. It's the most wonderful time we get rid of our kids. It's great. I know. How many, okay, so we're going to do something here. If you are the parent of a first-time kindergartner, will you stand? And your kid's probably in here. Will you and your kids stand, please? This includes homeschoolers as well. So stand. So tomorrow morning, stay standing. We're not done, stay. You've got to stay standing. We're all staring at you. Fortunately, most of you cleaned your clothes and your hair and stuff. But we want you to know that the tears will only last for a moment, and then joy will come in the morning. <laughs> it just happens, right? You can go grocery shopping with only one kid instead of seven. But uh, we definitely are not forgetting you. You know what I liked about that video is it didn't just go to teachers, and it didn't just go to students. It's the whole group. Uh, can I have the teachers stand up here, please? And administrators, if you work for a school system, please stand. Keep standing, everybody. No, no, no. Don't. Keep standing. I want everybody to keep standing. I want everybody to see how many people are involved in education. Uh, if you're a homeschooler, will you please stand? Okay. A homeschooler just got a phone call from the principal of their school. I consider myself the principal of a homeschool because uh, Wendy, who is our church secretary, her daughter Micah is homeschooled, and uh, whenever she's out of control, I walk by and go, are you doing your homework? So I feel like the principal of a homeschool. So if you are a, uh, so we got teachers, administrators, janitors, anybody like that. How about kids? If you're going to school tomorrow morning, would you stand up? Homeschool, public school, Christian school? It's the most wonderful time. It is an epic. Stay standing. It is such an epic opportunity, you guys. I mean, I'm telling you, and this is for college. We've got college professors here, and the thing is, this is not just about education and just about making a paycheck. This is your mission field. There is a major mis misnomer, in the, uh, which is a big e English word. Um, uh, I did graduate from college, uh, 10, English 101, and I got a flat C in it. So, um, but there's a misnomer, and that is the idea that because we, that prayer in school is not legalized, there's no prayer in school. My daughter has a quiz on Tuesday already. We know that. She's already praying, and she will carry that into Lovekin High School. And you know what? Uh, you carry the gospel. Do not forget or undervalue that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple. If you are God's kid, you're the temple. So you know what? They can't outlaw who you are. 
and we appreciate what you're doing. And I'm going to ask Lydia Spellings if she would come up. Lydia is a retired teacher who can't stay out of the school system. Do you still teach? Yeah? Not this year. And uh, we've got lots of retired teachers here, but she's a, a, a retired teacher whose husband is a bus driver. <laughs> Sorry, Les. I mean, bus driver is, a, is, is great. I mean, I, that's crazy. You're nuts. We all know you're nuts. But uh, we need to pray for you guys, too. But I asked Liddy to come up and pray for all of you. So, Liddy, sure yes. Let's pray. Father, um, we just come before you. Um, we just uh, want to tell you that we love you. And um, we're so grateful and thankful for where we live, where we are, um, and just so much chaos around the world, so many children suffering, so many families that are uh, affected for one reason or other with pain and sorrow, dear God. And here we are getting ready to start back to school, and we're excited about it, Father. Lord, I pray, Lord, we lift up all our uh, schools here in Angelina uh, County and beyond, Father, and uh, we lift up our teachers, our administrators, and Lord, I pray, Father, that you give them uh, courage and um, help them to see beyond themselves and their own particular situations and look into the eyes of the children. Lord, I just pray, Father, that, um, that you will just fill them with love. Lord, we pray for these little children who come with so many different needs to God, and we know that they do. Lord, above all, give these leaders peace and comfort them, Lord, and give them courage to face each situation. Lord, we pray for our bus drivers, our monitors, and everyone who's in some way or another uh, uh, affected by the school system, Lord Jesus. We just pray your blessings upon blessings uh, on all our teachers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And thank you for all that you do. We are fully aware that this is one of the most important mission fields of Carpenter's Way. And our, our, our hope and our prayer and our job is to support you. So feel free to be in touch with us. Um, uh, that leads to a couple things. Um, first of all, tomorrow morning, from 8 to 9 in the student room, uh, we're going to have a prayer breakfast. Uh, that's going to be led by Alicia. Do you have anything special you want to say about that? Okay. 8 to 9, prayer breakfast in the student room. Just come. Come if you're not teaching or in school, and, and we want to pray for our kids. Um, so that is tomorrow morning, uh, and we would certainly appreciate you to do that. Um, this leads to another thing that I want to let you know. Um, in the worship guide this morning, we put a little insert, and it just talks about our app. Okay, Carpenter's Way has an app, and it, whether you have an Android or whether you have an iPhone, it's free, it's, it's on the Internet, and we want you to use it. It doesn't matter what time of the day or the night you have an emergency prayer request or a prayer request. Um, you, you need to get that app. You need to log on to it. Click on the prayer thing. It'll ask you if you haven't done this yet to register that. Uh, you fill out your information. It will send a request to the office, and then we'll be able to put you in there. And uh, I just got a text message. <laughs> I need to silence my phone. Um, but I, I, w I just want to encourage you, please, to, uh, to do that. Because during the day, you can just hit that and put down here, pray for me. I'm having an extremely difficult day. And we will pray. We get that in the office. And we have most of our folks are part of our prayer team. It's an updated modern prayer chain. Uh, but it is an app you have to download. And I would just ask you to please seriously consider doing that so that we can have communication. Um, we're going to be talking about this a lot more because this is, the, this is the best way to communicate. Along with that, it allows you to watch archive services. It allows you to watch... Um, 
um, our service live, except when a tree knocks our internet out, which is what happened this week. So um, I think it's actually up working this morning. But uh, please, please take note of that. Just a couple more things before uh, we take our offering, uh, and that is that next Sunday morning there is a, uh, a student ministry meeting at the 11 o'clock hour here in this room, so please plan on being here for that. Some important information that Jeff uh, Bonin, my uh, executive pastor and overseas children, student ministry, and then Mark uh, Dubose has for you all. Uh, today is promotion Sunday. Is there anything special we need to announce about that except that it is? I should have had you up here. You should have sang or something. So please, uh, please note that. Um, and then this week, be praying for the Mosaic Center uh, as it is, uh, it's, they're our missionary of the week. And then I want to ask right now our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. And uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, as we continue our study, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 this morning. Um, so um, good to have you here this morning. Let's pray and let's commit our service to you. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, please don't give. This is uh, what we do as a church family to support our mission work across the globe and in the ministries here and all. Uh, we're just glad you're here if you're visiting. Um, I hope we can encourage you, so let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for all you're doing in our lives and our church. Father, thank you for the ministry that begins tomorrow in a very new way. We pray for our children, Father, that, that uh, no matter how young they are, those that have accepted you, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are working in them and through them. So bless them, Father. For our teachers, it's going to be kind of a scary and tiring day. We pray that you would bless them as well. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, for this morning, I pray that now our eyes would turn away from all the stuff that happens outside the walls of this place. And for the next hour or so, can we just fix our eyes on you completely, hear from you, encourage us. Thank you again for the privilege that we can gather in safety and comfort and uh, speak to us. Now, Father, as we give back financially to you, we pray that you would bless these gifts. We'll be careful to use them uh, in, a, in, a, in a way for your glory. Um, and Lord Jesus, uh, use us as a church to honor you in this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of mine enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Oh, I trust. 
Oh, I 
and declare these words, it is well with our soul, even in the middle of our trials, even in the middle of the pain and the hurt, and it's just life, God, uh, we can stand here knowing that our sin has been nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more, God, that you're coming back for us one day, and I just stand here, Lord, and in the midst of everything that's going on, Lord, and with our own lips, our own heart, we declare it is well because of you, because of what you have done for us, God. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you be with us, um, just speak to us the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. If your uh, kids are in GPS, three, uh, grade three or below, you can go ahead and uh, start heading back there. Hashtag of my wife that stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner in a once in a while. Woman, I have, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. You ever felt like that? That is uh, one of my favorite movies called The Apostle. Um, I don't endorse all of its theology, but uh, man, I... I I felt like that. And I know Jonah did. God told him to go to the Assyrian city we know as Nineveh and tell those people that in 40 days they were going to be destroyed. And what was their response when God finally gets them there? In Jonah 3, 5 to 6, it says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and he took off his royal robes and he dressed himself in burlap and he sat on a heap of ashes. As the result of their cry for mercy from God, God does this in Jonah 3.10. When God saw that they had done uh, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Mercy. We've been talking about that for the last few weeks, and there's so much confusion over, over the story of Jonah. It's one of those stories we hear as, as, as a child, and so we immediately go, to, oh yeah, that guy that, that got swallowed up by a whale, but it really isn't about the big fish, and it isn't just about him getting swallowed. It was about an officer in God's kingdom rejecting God's plan because he didn't like it. He didn't like what God was going to do. I'm so thankful that God doesn't do to me what people want Him to do to me. I'm thankful that He has mercy on me. Aren't you? But we're not always thankful that He has mercy on others. 
The ex-wife whose husband has committed adultery, who's deeply hurt, does not want God to show mercy to him. The victim of violence who hears that his assailant has accepted Christ in prison is not happy that God would grant them mercy. The church whose pastor has disappointed them with moral failure. Or maybe some of you in the church know of that pastor who was killed by the ATV. We've got an Overby family member in that church. A couple years ago, you remember there was a pastor in Texas that was baptizing a couple people in his flock. And somehow the microphone fell in and a little bit of electricity killed the people in that baptism. Sometimes we don't get it. And Jonah didn't get it here. In chapter 4, look at verses 1 to 8. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you'd do this? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn your back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. Uh, just, just a side note on this before I read the rest of this. You know, his, historical theologians believe that Jonah actually authored this. And Hebrew scholars often say that this is written with humor in it. In Hebrew, you see it. But you just laughed. It is funny. I mean, he's pouting. He's throwing a tantrum. Just kill me, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted would not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit, uh, to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and as soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. <laughs> That's not funny to you? That's awesome! Isn't this what you did to your kids? No, you didn't send a worm, but something like that. So God sends a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. What? That's not very nice. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Ever feel like that? I, mean, I, I know that we're not supposed to, and I, and I know that we all know that God's way are best in the end. I, I, I believe you believe that. Can I, can I just start again by saying that I believe that most of you here today who have accepted Christ as your Savior love Him very much. I know you struggle with sin. I know you struggle with selfishness. I do, though, believe. I, I just think we beat up on ourselves too much. God died on the cross knowing how silly we would be and how petty and that we're kids. Having said that, we do look at him sometimes and we just go, what is going on? I know we're not supposed to question, at least that's what I was taught as a child. And I know that we know that God's ways are best. I believe all of us know that, no matter how terminal our cancer may be. I know that we know that. But sometimes we just feel like Sonny in that movie. I call you Jesus, you call me Sonny. What is up with this? My church is shrinking. My wife is gone. What are you doing? Did you ever just think you knew God so much so that you kind of felt what he would do in the world or in your life, and then when he didn't do it that way, you just kind of went, what is up with that? I just got settled in. Why would you take my job? This makes no sense. 
Over the years together, we've talked a lot about the fact that God is good, but He is certainly not safe. And that is a reality that we struggle with. A simple reading of the Old Testament and New Testament proved this out. How about in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 4? Look at this, this popular text. During the third reign of King Jehoiakim, his reign in Judea, or Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Then the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. Please note, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, chief of staff, to bring the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Now that's what I call, uh, what's the big thing everybody's arguing about today when you look at somebody and you see their heritage and you make assumptions based upon that? What's that called? Profiling? This is the ultimate profiling. When you go back, Asphanaz, I want you to find the best looking, smartest, and the best of Jewish boys, and I want you to bring them back. Uh, What do we call that? Kidnapping. That's what we call that. I know that the Bible sounds so clean, but when you realize what happened here, God gave Israel over to wicked Nebuchadnezzar. Now you should feel a little bit better about the election. God has a tendency of doing that. And not only that, but he he allowed him to steal the temple articles and kidnap the best that Israel had to offer. Look, I just want to say something because I'm getting a, I've gotten a little bit of pushback, mostly from the internet, but I want you to understand that you can wish that God were different than he is, but he is who he is, and whether he's the Old Testament God or the New Testament God, he is one, and he does what he does sometimes, and it doesn't make sense to us because ultimately, we want mercy, we want forgiveness, and we want a comfortable, smooth life, and we want God's plan to be done. We just want to be in a bubble as he does it around us. And that just ain't how it works, my family. And, and, and trying to redefine God as, as different than that is simply not to look at Scripture. Do you remember who some of these kidnapped, good-looking leader Jews were? Look at verses 6 and 7 in Daniel 1. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which were their names, by the way, were four of the young men that were chosen. Isn't that a nice word? Kidnapped all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Isn't it weird that Daniel keeps his Hebrew name, but the other three, Hananiah, who is Shadrach, Mishael, who is Meshach, and Azariah, who is... It's not Abednego, by the way. It's not Abednego. We would pronounce that forever. You can pronounce it like that, but it's Abednego. (laughs) Abednego. It doesn't matter what his name is. We all know it. But we forget, or we don't think about, because we're so busy getting to the fiery furnace, we forget that those boys were the result of being kidnapped by a wicked Nebuchadnezzar that it says God put in power. Well, that was so far back, it doesn't affect me. Now you know our theology. We want God to be God unless it affects us bad. Why in the world would God allow his city to be ransacked by this wicked Assyrian king, Babylonian king, and his boys to be kidnapped? 
That's enough to make a Jew, let alone a Jewish mother, scream. Oy vey! How about God promising to take you into an amazing land and offer you land that flows with milk and honey? And as long as you worship Him and trust Him, He'll be faithful and you'll, nobody will die, nobody will get sick. It'll be incredible, which is what God promised. But actually take you down the path and take you in the opposite direction. Look at Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. It's coming up. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Or, taking the road to the Red Sea. To go around the land of Eden is how God took them. But the people grew impatient with this long journey. If you actually look at a map, and I didn't do this for you today, but there's a short journey to the promised land. God took them the long way. And theologians love to debate why. Well, God knew that there were people in the way. They weren't ready to fight. God didn't need them to fight. If he could, if he could part water, he can part people. And last time I checked, if you read the story of the wandering in the wilderness and how God defeated the enemy, all he needs is about six guys and a knife of circumcision. Remember that story? About eight of you do. You should read the stories you don't know. Some of them are pretty funny. Like the super fat king that gets run through and he loses his sword as he does that. Interesting stories. But they all point back to a God that doesn't always make sense. It doesn't make sense. So the people in Numbers... It says they cry out. They began to speak against God and his servant Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. Which, by the way, actually kind of circumvents the first complaint. There was food. It was called manna. Do you know what the Hebrew word manna means? What is this stuff? They didn't know. <laughs> so they're eating, stuffing their face with manna before the before the worms get to it, and they're complaining that they have nothing to eat. Doesn't that sound like your children? How about your husband? Honey, what's for dinner? Oh, we're going to have spaghetti. Is there nothing to eat in this kitchen? That's what the Jews do. Or how about God telling you that he is about to destroy the city where your cousin lives without regard for your cousin? In Genesis 18, 20 to 23, you remember the end of this story, verse, uh, where it says, So the Lord told Abraham, I have a, heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if, the, if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. Then the other uh, men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord re, uh, remained with Adam, or Abraham, not Adam. Got my characters wrong. Abraham <laughs> approached him and he said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? J just in case you're not clear. His wife just laughed at God who said that they're going to have a son. He's aware that this is the Lord of hosts. He doesn't want to tick him off, but his question is very direct. Are you sure you're going to kill righteous people and sinful? I mean, I know me. I might, I might know a couple people in that town that I'm kind of fond of. And Abraham, maybe he felt guilty. After all, he did send Lot to live there. Or how about Jesus. What if Jesus was your best friend, literally, physically, in this life? What if he ate in your house all the time, and your name was Mary and Martha, and your brother was Lazarus, and when he came over, he didn't always talk theology, he talked life with you? And what if your brother that you love very much gets sick and is about to die, and you send for him, and he doesn't come? You've seen him heal everybody else's kid, but he won't heal yours? Are you kidding me? 
So in John 11, it says, when Jesus finally arrives in Bethany four days later after his death, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only five miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss of their brother. I added that. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Okay, don't lose that. That's just a little tiny part of the story. Everybody in this room, especially the ladies, know why she stayed in the house. She didn't want to look at this man. Mary stays in the house. She's mad. Martha, Martha said to Jesus, and a lot of this depends on how you read it. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I don't know if she's pleading or mad. I know that she's disappointed. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he, he will rise again when everyone else rises at the last day. For me, I hear her saying, I didn't want him to rise in the last day. I wanted him to rise this morning. Where were you? Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Do you see her eyes rolling back in her head? Fine. That's great theology, but I'm worried about today. My brother's dead, and my sister is really struggling with you. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes. Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. I don't know if she's pleading or soft-hearted, broken-hearted, or angry, or maybe all of those things. Have you ever been all of those things? She returns to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her that the teacher is here, the rabbi is here and wants to see you. Hmm. I don't know if that's a lie or not, but Mary immediately goes out to see him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at a place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you would have been here. Again, I don't know if she's angry or brokenhearted. I just know that some of the characteristics of her behavior seem angry to me. Would it tick you off if God told you to go tell Osama bin Laden five years ago about Jesus? I want you to go to Afghanistan land in Kabul, and then I want you to get on a motorcycle, and here's a, here, here's a cave I want you to go to. And in that cave, you're going to see this guy who looks like the pictures of Peter on paintings. You didn't get that? That's like one of my funniest lines. I've got a painting in my office that somebody bought me years back of Jesus um, picking Peter up from drowning. People come in and go, oh, that's such a cool painting. I love that. I said, yeah, it's Osama bin Laden and Mullah Mullah Omar. <laughs> That's not funny. Would it tick you off if God asked you to go minister to him? Well, he asked one guy to. In Acts chapter 9, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. You know, Saul Paul. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, 
the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and, I will, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a, voice, in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. Okay. Okay. But Lord, before I go, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this guy has done to believers in Jerusalem. <laughs> and I'm supposed to preach on Sunday. I added that part. And he is authorized, Lord, by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. So tomorrow night, about 25% of this flock is going to go home and sit in their living room like this and go, Lord, do you know what kids you put in my second hour class? I think I read in the paper that they robbed last year's teacher. That's what's going on here. Excuse me, God. I don't mean any disrespect. But if this is the same Saul Paul we've been hearing about, <laughs> are you sure you want to sacrifice me like Stephen? After all, Stephen's not here. You don't need to empty your bullpen. You ever felt that? Or how about Jonah in Jonah 4? Again, what I read. This change of, change of plans greatly upset him, and he became angry. He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. These are Assyrians. I'm a Jew. What have Jews to do with Assyrians? I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God, slow to angry and filled with unfailing love. And by the way, he's not worshiping here. How dare you be filled with unfailing love? You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. Ah, these people deserve destroying. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. By the way, just so you don't get confused, the Lord had already said what was going to happen to the city. Nothing. He just had nowhere else to go, so he was going to sit there and pout. Next week, we'll get into why God saves who He saves. But for this week, I want to concentrate on what these people feel. What if what God is doing in the world doesn't fit our expectations, our worldview, or our political perspective? I mean, what if God's plans are not our personal, are in? What if they're not in our personal best interest? What if they're in His personal best interest? Would it make us feel like this? 
You ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like this because of any of these things or maybe simply because of the circumstances he's placed you in? You know, there's two things that he's mad about. He's angry at what's going, what God is doing in the world around him. The Assyrians should all be dead. He's angry that they're not. And he's angry later that the leaf that God sent to, to help him, he's angry with his own circumstances. He's angry at what's going on out here, and he's angry at what's going on in here. The, the, the leaf comes, and it gives him shade, and he thanks God for the shade. Thank you for the shade. And then God sends a worm and kills the shade. And he's angry about that. He's angry about this, and he's angry about this. So he goes and he sits on a hill waiting and hoping that God will change his mind again, send fire down from heaven, even though he's pretty darn sure that he won't, but he's still not happy about it. Look at verses 4 through 9. The Lord replied, Is it angry for you to be right about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sin under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and it soon spread its broad leaves over his head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was grateful. But God arranged for a worm. For those of you who want to wrestle with me right now over whether or not God causes sickness, allows sickness. You know, at the end of the day, it isn't just sickness he brought on Jonah. He didn't bring any sickness on Jonah. But being in the belly of a whale, not understanding what God is doing in the world, having the leaf and the sun and the, and the wind, God sends those things, it says, it doesn't matter if it's physical ailment or physical discomfort. He is a very unhappy little prophet. And here's the cool thing about this letter to me. Is if Jonah actually is the author, which we don't know for sure, how cool is it that he would inform the world of his own foolishness? We have the most incredible character of heroes in the scriptures. And I just want to rabbit trail. I know that shocks you for just a second. And I want to thank God for them. I am so thankful that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, including his own rebellion against God. I'm so thankful that it's possible that Jonah wrote this about himself so that we could look on and go, man, even a prophet who talks to God regularly doesn't get it and gets angry. Because I find great comfort in the fact that God wants to be my daddy and sometimes daddies who are good daddies engage conversations with their children that are ridiculous. He invited Jonah to hurt so that he could meet God, the sovereign one, king of the universe. And Jonah could write about his foolishness so that we could appreciate his graciousness. It's an incredible God we serve. And I honestly think that as we look at Jonah's father-son relationship in this conversation and we ask ourselves, why did he get angry, frustrated, hurt, or rebellious? And we ask ourselves, why do we feel these things? I think it's because we know what's true. And it's so well said in Isaiah 45, verse 7. Look at this verse. God speaking of himself in Isaiah through the prophet Isaiah said, I create the light and make the darkness. I send the good times Nobody can read that. And the bad. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. I realize that for some of us, we just want God to be Santa Claus. But if he's Santa Claus, he's not God. 
And you can't trust Santa Claus. He breaks into your house and eats your food. <laughs> that was good. I'm going to write a book, Why God Isn't Santa Claus. I'll have to color pictures. <laughs> Folks, listen. He's God, and that means his plan is better. So when we look up in heaven and say, what are you doing? In the back of our minds, we should hear, I'm doing what dads do. Dads have this much information, and their kids have this much information, and it is incredible to rest in his knowledge and his wisdom and his sovereignty. And to think that not only does he not destroy the Assyrians in Nineveh, but he doesn't destroy Jonah. Remember that old line as a parent, none of you ever felt? I brought you into this world, I will take you out. <laughs> you didn't, probably, but neither does God. It's because he's merciful and he's a daddy. And what does he do? He makes his life a little harder. Well, that's not nice. Isn't that what you did? I have told most of you this story but it's one of my favorite stories. My dad was fixing this old white lawnmower in our front yard. We made plenty of money to buy a new one. But he, for whatever reason, and some of you guys will understand this, decided that that lawnmower would never die. So he kept fixing it, or thought he would, and one day he worked three hours on it. It took 10 minutes to mow our lawn, and he just kept fixing it and trying to fix it, and it wouldn't run, it wouldn't run. And uh, my elder dad spoke language that he's passed on to me, and and and... And I came over as a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid, and I, I noticed that the spark plug thing wasn't on. You know that little, you plug it in, it sets a spark, it starts the engine. You could now tell what a mechanic I am. And I said, Dad, I know what the problem is. And you know, <laughs> yes. Why don't you go inside with your mother and all the other girls? <laughs> Dad, it's not plugged in. Oh, well, thanks for noticing, son. Why don't you hold it on there while I pull the crank? <laughs> Lesson for life. That spark is more powerful than it looks. The truth is that sometimes God takes us deeper into the fire to show us that he's the fire extinguisher. That's why Jonah would write a book like this. He doesn't even have to make the point. It makes it for himself. Who are we to ask God what he's doing when we think we have a better idea? I create the light and I make the darkness. I send the good times and the bad. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. We know this to be true, like Jonah with the mercy of God. And he himself wanted mercy from the fish's belly. But, but he didn't want it for the Assyrians. And I don't want to rip scabs off old wounds, but some of you have been in marriages where your spouse had an affair and you, you are so hurt you don't want them forgiven, but if you can just look beyond that, if they're not forgiven, neither are you. Your sin may not be the same, but it's just as grievous and it isn't against humanity. It's against God. We want mercy that we don't extend to others. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Well, I don't want to forgive others. Okay. Let me build you a really leafy plant. I mean, the, the fact is we know God to be merciful and good, just like Jonah does, and sometimes that's what ticks us off. How about how crazy is that? In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it tells us what the facts are. My thoughts are not, nothing like your thoughts, 
and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The ironic part is we know this to be true, but we hope that God's ways and thoughts are like ours so that our experience on this planet is peaceful and comfortable and wealthy. When Scripture from from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation says they're not, we forget that even when our experience is rough and our pride is bruised, Lamentations, boy, you know it's a good message when I quote Lamentations, says this in 3, 22 through 32. What was I preaching about? It was from Lamentations. Oh, one of those. <laughs> the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of His discipline. Do you understand what's going on here? He starts with happy talk. God's merciful and His love never ends. So when you're in the middle of your life and it seems like He's disciplining you or, or, or you're, you have to wait on Him and you're crying out to Him for salvation from whatever you're praying for salvation from, Just be quietly. Verse 28, let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demand. Let them lie face down in the dust for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept their insults of their enemies. For no one is abandoned by the Lord. What does it say? Forever. Why would the author write forever? Because it feels like forever sometimes. That's why these words are written, because it feels like that. No one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Oh, God, you're abandoning me, but not forever. Not forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion. That's verse 12 of Lamentations 3. Though he brings grief, He also shows compassion. Wow. Do you know what the first half of that sentence means? Sometimes God brings grief. Like tomorrow's fourth hour class. Especially if you're a homeschool parent. Have you noticed that your students never change? I really need to talk to the administration. They keep showing up every year. Though he brings grief. That's just not how I perceive God. Nonetheless, it is how he is. It says it in the book. Though he brings grief, he he also shows compassion. Why? Because of his great and unfailing love. Since Eve looked at that fruit and saw that it was desirable to make her wise. We have been trying to figure God out and help Him with this plan as we think it should be. We have a plan that we often project on God who should be shown mercy, what comfort in which we should live, how healthy our kids should be, how much money we should make. We want God to do it our way because then we'll be free to be a good example, forgetting that sometimes the best testimony is a faithful man or woman who has brain cancer. Everybody celebrates God 
in a good day, including the atheists. Only the faithful celebrate God when all hope is gone except God. We have to realize that if God does everything we want Him to do, then He is no longer God. He's actually our slave doing everything we wish Him to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, 5 through 8. You know 5 and 6. Look, trust in the Lord with all your heart and depend not on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. That is probably somewhere in your house. If it's not, it's all over Facebook. That's what we write. But I want you to look at the next two verses. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. In other words, as I submit my understanding and my will and my life and my desires to God, and and we all have them. We all want to make enough money. We all want to be healthy. We all want that stuff. That's normal. But when those things eventually, and they do, start to cease, start to fall apart, at some point we start wrestling with who God is and His plan. And if we can get ourselves to understand that His plan is better, we will find that our body doesn't hurt as much and our bones are strengthened and our ulcers go away. It just is how it works. If somehow we can get from where we are to where we should be with trust, actually you can smile in the storm. What happens, family, when God turns out not to be who we wish He was and He does things in a way and in the time that we wish He would not do them? I'm realizing that we don't know these characters of Scripture like we thought we did. We have feelings about and toward God like Jonah, but these men and women had them in spades. And in reality, they felt worry, fear, frustration, joy, thankfulness, abandonment, all towards God, real feelings that people have. So I want to take the next few weeks, and I want to talk about those feelings. Uh, In a couple, a a year and a half ago, I did a series called, What in Your Name Are We Doing Here? And we talked about what God expects of us. I want to turn that on its head, and I, I want us to take the next few weeks and look at some of the Psalms and some of the characters of Scripture, men and women, people that we revere, in stained glass. And I want us to remove them a little bit more, and I want us to look at what they felt about God, the ones who talked with him and from David. And I think you might be surprised that though technology has changed, people's response to God's will in the world has not changed. It just hasn't changed. So starting now, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the feelings of people towards God and how how God responded to that. I think for many of you that are struggling whether it's physical ailments or inability to have children or a sad relationship in a marriage, I think you'll find comfort in knowing that we're just not that different from those that we call heroes. Because as much as we laugh at Jonah in the belly of a big fish, the truth is he was a prophet, usable by God, effective for the kingdom if you look at the rest of Scripture's. He just had one problem. 
He didn't like all of God's plan, just like us. Can we pray? Tomorrow uh, feels like it starts a whole new thing. And I'd like to ask that you bow your head, and even if you're not a Christian this morning, just look at the floor. Just give us a few minutes as a family. So tomorrow school starts, and it's an exciting time for the kids and scary. And it's an exciting time for the school system and scary. I don't know beyond your work what's going on in your heart. Some of you are diagnosed with illnesses. Some of you have children that are ill. Some of you sent your kids off to college for the first time. Some of you are terrified. Some of you are afraid of the election. I don't know what it is that God is doing around us that has got you scared. And whether or not you believe God's bringing this thing or allowing it, He's still sovereign and can change it. So here's what I'm going to ask of you right now. I'm going to ask you to take a courageous step and set that thing at His feet and say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. If you're mad at him, take courage and say, I'm angry with you. If you're scared, say, I'm scared. If you're excited, say, I'm excited today. But I want you to set it at his feet. Because I know you love him. And I know you trust him. You're just scared that he's not safe like you wish he was. And he's not. Lord Jesus, I've been pastoring for over 30 years now. And it still scares me. I don't like the things that you ask me to do or the conversations you ask me to have or some of the message you ask me to preach. I don't like the fear of budgets. I don't like that my son is 2,000 miles from me and that my daughter is going to graduate this, this year. I don't like that I'm turning 50. I don't like that it makes me think that I'm over half done. But I do like that you're on the other side of that. So I ask you to help me to like that you're on this side of that too. To find joy in the fact that my son is 2,000 miles from me. To find joy in the reality that my daughter's graduating from high school. To find excitement in the fact that every day is an adventure in this job and ministry. And that I get to live my life out with these people. What a blast. And I don't know what's in the heart of these folks this morning. There's 500 folks in this room and every one of them have their own fears. We got teachers who are retired that right now are very excited that they're not going to be up early tomorrow morning. And they're scared that they're not going to know what to do at 9 a.m. Father God. Just use us however you want and help us be okay with it. Make us good with you. We love you. And when you need to send a plant to bring us comfort and then send a worm to teach us a lesson, make us okay with that as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope you have a blast tomorrow. For all those teachers that are retired, <laughs> We love you. If you need anything, let us know. Download our app. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.